I'll tell you what, I would have, a, like, a, a little while ago, a couple years ago, I probably would have told you, like, going to the dentist. Like, hell is a trip to the dentist forever. Um, I had always, I was always very self-conscious about my teeth, especially because as a kid, didn't have access to um, reliable dental care for my whole childhood, right? And so every trip to the dentist, because they would happen, they just didn't happen frequently. Every sure. trip was terrible, yeah. <laughs> consequently. Yeah. That's what happens if you only go every couple of years or whatever. It's not good. <laughs> um, yeah. And so <laughs> my young malformed brain was like, the dentist is a terrible place to go. Um, but a couple of years ago, I had to bite the bullet, as it were, and I got orthodontics, so I have braces um mm -hmm. and that was like immersion therapy so i had to go to the dentist <laughs> right. so much and i still i mean i was at the dentist yesterday and it's so funny but it's not hell it's not it's not hellish anymore it's just going to the dentist that's the thing what when you just do the thing over and over again you just yeah. it's yeah. the that pain goes away so um not necessarily the discomfort or the unpleasantness but just the the dread, you know, because I mentioned yes. to you, I, I spent so much time thinking about hell as a kid and it just created this dread soaked corner of my consciousness that um, I don't like. I don't think I believe in hell in real life. You know what I mean? Um, I think there's like there's that theologian, uh, David Bentley Hart. He wrote like a new translation yeah. of the New Testament. Yeah. I really like yeah. reading his stuff. I'm like better at reading his like articles and sometimes his Substack than I am at reading his actual books because mm -hmm. he's smart and he's a theologian, you know. But yeah, um, it's dense. I've only read one, but I liked it. Was it the uh, the the one about eternalism? The idea that uh, that all shall be saved, or was it another one? No, it was God. Okay, yeah, being yeah, I haven't something and something else. I haven't read that one, but I I know that. So he wrote this article for the New York Times when that his book about um basically the premise that all will be redeemed that if yeah, you, know, yeah. you know that that um you can't be so evil so that in the next life you you know whatever but um he wrote in this article in the New York Times he said like that an old monk had told him once that people rejoice in the thought of hell to the precise degree that they harbor hell within themselves and I I've that resonant like when I read that it hit yeah. me it hit me like a a ton of bricks because I realized that I had it, in, internalized that concept you know and and was fearful of it like I quit I quit believing in God for a while but still managed to sort of half believe in hell that all those years you know what I mean and that's a problem um, yeah but I would say I thought so I don't I don't think about hell as much. Uh, but I, but I, when I thought about it for this show, I thought about, I thought about. There's this philosopher, Colin Wilson. Are you familiar with him at all? No. He's like one of the like sort of like angry young men of that craze in the Brit oh, in cool. British British literature is what it was called. And he, mm -hmm. but he went on to write a lot about like the occult and the esoteric and the weird. And I, I don't like agree with everything he says or any of that vibe. He gets into some kind of like weird. Same as any the occult stuff, it can get real dicey if you're you wander around and you're going to start seeing weird stuff, you know, in just okay. various. But anyway, I'm off the path. He talks a lot about 
he has this concept of the robot. And the robot is this thing in our brain that switches on when we have to do routine or mundane tasks. The robot is like, you get in the car to drive to work in the morning and the robot switches on because you don't have to think about driving to work. Right. You you know how to drive to work, so you just start mm-hmm. doing it. You're almost on autopilot. And he talks a lot about how that robot is like helpful in a lot of cases, but has a tendency to take over and all of a sudden the robot's running the show when we should be right in 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 our bodies and inhabiting our moment you know so to Robot me scope creep right <laughs> to me hell is the robot being switched on eternally like not being able to mm. to get back to those feelings where like i think he said something like that the whole uh the secret of uh, avoiding boredom is like to have a sense of purpose basically i'm paraphrasing what he's saying but mm-hmm. you have you have to you have to have like a mission and to me hell would be just being stuck in like the traffic jam or just sitting there blankly filling out forms you know right. like the mundanity of the stuff that 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 feels like hell in my my real life sometimes you know the sure. routine the mundane and um but hell is it w- the activities or the mindset because if it's the mindset it feels like you still need like 0.01% of not the robot for the robot to make you panicked sometimes you know what i well, mean well oh, well sure because panic is actually breaking out of it a little bit right like panic's a, sure. another response panic is is the robot turning off in the bad way <laughs> but does the robot feel does the robot feel the panic? Like the robot is hell. You know what I mean? No, I think the robot might not feel, you know, and that's sure, the thing. Sure, right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that like that's when I know when I notice myself slipping into that kind of thing of just being uh, just wrote completely f- forgetting how to get in the moment and understand what's happening or appreciate it or even uh hate it like even hating it is is a is a preferable state i think maybe sure to the to the complete blank slate of it you know and i think like so yeah that's to me hell is like is just is just being in the machine with no spark left you know no no yeah. uh and being stuck in that um and being aware of it yeah being aware that you're stuck in it but not be but not having enough uh uh, psychic energy left to to revolt against it because you yes. you're yes. De- you're denied that you know and to me that sounds that sounds like that sounds like hell yeah i mean once again you make a compelling case uh i think thank you and that's hell that we can expect that's hell that you got to be careful not to experience on this in this life too you know and to me that that's- is what the use of the hell is man in so yeah. many ways yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and i you know i just i love talking about this stuff and i was just, i'm so thankful for the opportunity that you've given me to even you know like riff on this stuff because i love it i love thinking about this stuff and and it it 
I'm a big fan of that writer Alan Moore, the comic book author, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was a big inspiration on that song, Always Happening. He talks about the block universe, right? How, like, every moment is always occurring. In an, There is only the present, right? Okay. And you can take that in a million esoteric directions, or you can take it in a real literalist one way, you know? But I liked that phrase everything is always happening because it, it it just is a simple statement of truth, you know, mm-hmm. to the point of even being like durr on the nose. Like I wasn't like, I had sure. to give myself permission to be like, wow, dude. Yeah. You, I remember my first joint, you know, or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but I, I had to be like, no, but I, I find that to be a profound truth also. Right. Like everything mm-hmm. is happening. What's happening right now is you and I having this moment and connecting and talking. And that's amazing. And this is happening, and then the present moment will continue as we go our separate ways and do our things. And and it's like to, to kind of remember that if you can stay, if you don't don't switch the autopilot on too much, switch them on when you have to. You know, like to me, like that's thinking about hell gives me a nice uh, reminder of how to avoid that hell uh, right now. You know, as much as possible too. Yeah. But if, but if everything, I'm I'm stuck on the literal truth thing a sure. little bit of like, if everything is always happening, what's the use of what you said 15 seconds ago, um, as opposed to like, if if well, we're not you... aware <laughs> of the other the other things, what's the use of them, and how do we even know that it's true? Well, I don't know for sure. I mean, clearly, I don't know. But I would say that what you said 15 seconds ago is still happening 15 seconds ago. Like, it's about mm. being rooted in that present. St- sure. Like, what what just happened happened, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's we're a- getting to a point where every 15 <laughs> seconds is going to start sounding pretty much the same. Yeah, well, sure. of this conversation, <laughs> it is true. We have yeah. entered, we've entered a, a recurrence, and we're in a loop now. Um, and that song is built on a, a a small loop of a Lenny K song, which he, oh, cool. which he blessed my usage of, which was like the coolest, most That's incredible so thing. Cool. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, so loop looping, and ask the bass player in the band. Uh, yeah, my bass lines are the same part over and over and over and over again usually. Yeah. So so I'm I'm prone to that, unfortunately. Well, maybe I'll loop, maybe we will have the hell question <laughs> uh start the episode and this will somehow loop. I'll have the first looping episode of the show. Whatever you want to do is fine by me. It's been such a absolute pleasure getting to hang out with you and chat with this you. This is awesome, man. That's the show. Thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to listen. You can go to patreon.com slash Marr to support the show financially. You can tell a friend, rate, or review in your app to support in other ways. And check out Jason's links in the show notes. He's a great dude. He's a wonderful musician, podcaster, writer, and you owe it to yourself to expose yourself to some of his work. It's great. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Have faith. You are human. Only human. 
and human beings they do miracles. These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name's Dave Marr. I'm the host of the show. I'm a comedian who lives in Chicago. I survived a month-long coma almost nine years ago, and I woke up with questions. My guest on the show this week is Jason Woodbury, the writer, the musician, the music writer, the podcaster, editor for Aquarium Drunkard, host of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions, member of a sort of mutual admiration society of two that he and I have going. Jason is someone whose work I really respect, and I forget how we initially got connected, but I remember us exchanging some DMs on Twitter about how he liked this show, and he said some very nice things about it that have sustained me in dark moments, which is the purpose of nice things, as far as I'm concerned, you know, at least one of the purposes. And I have followed his work. I really enjoy his work. I heard him on another podcast and I thought, you know what? It's great to have when, when the guy who makes a bunch of creative work and sure, some of his stuff is interviewing other people. Check out his podcast, Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We share several guests and I could probably stand to just pilfer his guest list more. But anyway, what was I saying? I was saying that, that you know, he doesn't always need to be in the interviewer chair. Put him in the interview chair. And I was rewarded mightily. This is a wonderful conversation in a very one-of-a-kind, first-of-its-kind, unique, this is your afterlife. Very grateful you have made it to this point. And I hope you continue to listen. You can check out his links to his album, Something Happening, Always Happening, via Bandcamp, all his social media profiles, his Substack, uh, Wastoids, another project that he does. All that stuff is in the show notes. So go there, you know? Also, your support makes me doing This Is Your Afterlife much easier. There are several ways you can support. You can leave a review in your app. If you want to go even lazier, you can leave a rating in your app. You can tell a friend. That's one of the best ways to support. I would say, because it affects my bottom line so directly, financial support, as gauche as it may be, is very, very helpful. You can go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. For 5 or $15 a month, you can support the show. You can become an afterhead for $5 a month and get all of the bonus, bonus audio that I release. Bonus auto. You can, you can get it. You, you can get the other stuff I record. And that will always be the case. Always open to everyone at the $5 level. The $15 level, if you are contributing at that level, that is above and beyond. I'm very grateful. And as a show of my gratitude... I like to say those supporters, those Pigeon Level supporters, names on the podcast every episode. So thank you, Debo, Shuba Singh, John Lee, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, and Fred Fidoa. 
And that is all I want to say. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jason Woodbury. I grab your whip and take it back to Shotown. When I'm in Shotown, I treat it And like people are like, wait, can it be funny but also pretty? Or can it be funny but also sad? One of my the things I love about your podcast is those lines are are blurred because in the moments where it's really impactful or big, they are blurred. You know what I mean? You laugh at your grandpa's funeral or your grandma's funeral when you're talking yeah, to your brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this, these, these lines aren't, uh, the reality doesn't draw the lines like that, you know? So I think it's cool when yeah. music uh, doesn't either. I mean, that's a, that's an, a nice thing to say. So thank you, man. I mean, the, the thing it makes me think of it well it makes me think of two things it makes me think of just like first hearing that Randy Newman song you can leave your hat on mm-hmm. is just like so fucking weird and funny and i was just like so i mean i and i i feel like he's like does that shit all the time but the real one it's making me think of is um and i've been trying to find a way to do this on stage cuz i'm in a mode where i'm not doing like stand up it's it's I mean, it's like uh, we're we're get we're trying to make accessible performance art, essentially. You know what I mean? And uh, something about the first time I heard uh, a song called "Big House" by the band Audio Adrenaline. <laughs> do you do you know them? Yeah, I know the exact song you're talking about. Sure. Yeah, and so my brother and I were in. We lived in Oklahoma at the time, and we were listening to this song in the Albertsons parking lot while our mom was grocery shopping. And like, it was every time he said where we can play football for some reason, because everything else is like a big house, a big table, lots and lots of of room. Yeah. Yeah. Lots and lots of room. Yeah. Very much. And then he's like, where we can't play football. (laughs) And it's just like one of their bandmates was like, can we please put this in like this really, I think this is going to be as valuable as the other things in heaven. Yeah. Well, part of what's so funny to me is that it's probably that line that made it such a, uh, a, a novelty like hit yes. you know what I mean or like mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. that spirit <laughs> because like right. it is funny the way um, I having grown up in American Christianity you know and had my own mm-hmm. weird faith journey away from it and in some ways back to certain aspects but certainly not in like a real straightforward manner or yeah. whatever um, it's funny the degree to which the talk of the celestial has just turned into just sort of like a hyper version of like what you do after church, which is when you watch football yeah. and you and you yeah, eat, and you yeah, eat chips, you eat chips and stuff. Right. And to me, like on one hand, it's like kind of easy to snicker at that, but on another hand, it's like yeah, that. But that's really all we ever do when we really imagine heaven, right? Is like imagine like our favorite thing that's going on right now, or or some yeah. version of our favorite thing where it doesn't end, and the sort of temporary reprieve from this, you know, the the sadness that you feel most of the time. To me, like obviously watching football and eating housing chips or whatever, like maybe there are more spiritually productive uses of your time, but at the same time. Whomst among us has not 
been binge watched you know you're, you're convincing me i'm like i'm i'm now on the audio adrenaline as sacred text train here i think i remember so much of that stuff being hilarious i mean uh the first yeah. time i ever heard a live band do smells like teen spirit it was a youth group uh, li- uh-huh. uh a youth group band covering it with smell like they changed the lyrics to be christian i don't want to say for sure that it was like smell sounds like holy spirit or something but it was something yeah something yeah, like yeah. that i don't want I, I really don't remember the specifics but i do remember being like one that's a badass riff and two yeah <laughs> and two this is the cheesiest shit i've ever seen in my life like it was it that really did register on a on a like very primal level when probably my favorite band at the time was like I don't know the Goo Goo Dolls or something. It's not like I had ex- advanced oh, sure. taste, you know. But at the, right, right. But I just remember that sense of like this is very goofy what they're doing. But um, yeah, but it's absolutely. a good, but it's a good jam, you know. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think most people would agree that smells like Teen Spirit is a pretty good jam. Yeah, canonically good jam. Yeah. Um, well, we fucking backed up into it, man. I'm going to skip over the hell question for now. But what do you hope happens when you die? I thought so much about this one because um, I'm glad you, know, you can cut this part out. But I'm glad we'll talk about hell because I feel like the concepts of hell in so many ways defined my thoughts on the afterlife when I was younger. I thought a lot yes. more about hell than I thought about heaven. Um, That's real. But I I feel like what I hope happens when I die is that some element of me, whatever it is, is absorbed into the broader kind of like uh, cosmic consciousness or whatever. That's sort of what I, I like to think of it as like I maybe am no longer... <laughs> physically present in the universe but some part of me is like joined with the whole of you know i don't know existence or whatever i'm not i have i have shaky shaky terms on this because i also think it's really beautiful to imagine maybe nothing happening you know um there's this talking head song where david burns sings like heaven is a place where nothing ever happens and there's a part of me that thinks like the concept of of absolute non-existence of course at times that's sort of a an alluring dream too you know what i mean of sure, just like sure. it's you just blink out or it's just it's done and then maybe obviously what physically happens to your body if you're buried is it breaks down and becomes a constitute part of the the planet so in some ways i feel like the sort of the view of like the spiritual potential doesn't feel all that unrelated to that idea, you know what I mean? Of be just becoming part of whatever else there is, if if anything. So I so I don't know, I don't know, but I think that's that's what, kind of what I hope happens is that you just join up. Are you a meditation guy? I am a meditation guy, but I'm bad at it. Um, yeah, but that doesn't matter, right? Well, I I mean, I I know that I spend plenty of time convincing myself that it does matter that I'm bad at it. Um, <laughs> Um, like just what your thoughts stray a lot or something what i mean is that i I struggle with some of the discipline of sitting you know like oh, sure, uh, just sure. just just committing to it each and every day um yeah i do uh i do 
do try to maintain a regular meditation schedule and I slip off and on sometimes or you go on a trip. Like a two times a day thing or? Usually once a day. Um, But but yeah, I have done transcendental meditation. I did take that course. And so I have done the two times a day thing too. Um, And that is the technique that I use. So um, you have your secret uh mantra that you're not supposed to say to anybody else i do i do yeah and that part feels weird to me i'll be honest but um what 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 aspect of it feels weird i don't know um on one hand like there is a i think on one hand i have just kind of an aversion to systems you know religious systems or 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 kinds of dogma i fear being a joiner essentially in a lot of ways um because so much of my spiritual search has been me often going on my own trip you know kind of like wandering slightly to the side of this tradition that i uh let's say was raised in or these other traditions that maybe were attractive at times or less attractive at others but anyway so i think i just get nervous about that and i feel like something i'm not supposed to say uh, it feels like um, it feels like it's connected to this weird thing I don't like in religion of sort of like a secret. I know a secret that you don't. Yeah, yeah. But that said, our experience with something like meditation is deeply personal, and um, and I think that there's a lot of value also to that idea of my mantra isn't something that is for everybody else, you know? Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and even if somebody else has the same mantra as mine, I don't, I don't know what I bring to it is my personal experience with the whole thing. And so I find like, obviously, yeah, it's maybe it feels a little weird, you know, to have a secret thing, but at the sure, same time, totally. we all have to, you know, there is a sort of secret life that we all live and it's important and sustains us, I think, and is a part of, of what we do. Yeah, man. I mean, just like the audio adrenaline thing, you've you've convinced me of the importance of the secrecy of the mantra. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I may I maybe let I may be more certain about the audio adrenaline thing. I've been thinking <laughs> lately because I like to think about um and 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 they tell you in TM and and I do believe this to be the case. It isn't a religion. It is a, a system. It's a technique of meditation, and you can be mm-hmm. you can be a Christian meditator or an atheist meditator sure, or any of those sure. things. And I I believe people very sincerely are um but lately i've been thinking like when it comes to talking about mysticism or religion i do think i have to like cop to just basically having an understanding of the christian take uh to the best of like that's the thing i've most been immersed in in my life right so it's the only thing i feel like i have any sort of not authority but do you know what i mean like that's the only one i feel comfortable yeah, I, I I think I've said it on the show before, but like that, I forget which one of the big gurus said that like, we don't need more bad Buddhists in the world. We need like good Christians, that kind of thing Um, to like, might as well keep all the uh, iconography and myth and whatever that you had growing up since if, if they're all the same. Yeah, m- might as well. I mean, I'm like really flattening and, and paraphrasing, <laughs> but uh yeah, I I, t- I totally am down with uh, repurposing and and kind of yeah picking at the Jenga tower of of those systems for what you want. Yeah, I think that's why I like making music in a lot of ways because 
in art, I get to um, play with a lot of the same textures that I feel like I, I engage with when meditating or when thinking about uh, spiritual matters or topics. But in art, you get to just like kind of like do whatever you want so you can skip skip parts you know what i mean or you don't have to be faithful in fact when you're making art it's usually best if you're restless and kind of like uh picking at the thing and try you know what i mean so it's like it's yeah. like it's it's it, it almost feels like bootleg meditation sometimes making music sure. cuz once i slip into a groove it is it i do feel like it's a connected thought you know what i mean and i think the record mm. brings a little of that to the table yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was going to ask what you meant by the art and music sharing textures with the spiritual stuff. But I get. But then when you talk about like the flow state of messing with music or being in a groove, uh, I assume it can apply live as well as like if you're really fucking, you know, editing and smoothing out and doing the shit. Uh, that 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 can feel similar to meditation. That makes total sense to me. Yeah, it definitely does. And that that sort of access to flow state or peak experience or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that is a big part of it. But I also think you can extend it even beyond that to to think okay. about uh, connecting with other people when you're playing music with other people or when there's other collaborators involved or producers or engineers or the guy mastering the record brian sulpizio any of these guys like um wait brian sulpizio mastered your record yeah that's so funny he I mastered went to college with brian sulpizio. <laughs> i'm in a band with john douglas who also went to college with brian we, we and brian mastered that record too we play in a band called kitimoto and so Amazing. yeah and he's he used to be John used to be in Health and Beauty Brian's awesome project so Yes 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 um yeah he does so much cool stuff He's me. the best he's great um but that thing of like just connecting with other people even and sharing a thing mm-hmm. you know um that is part of that texture I'm talking about and the sense of the otherworldly is also what I'm talking about too you know which is is maybe Maybe that's the same thing as the flow state a little bit. Um, maybe there's some connection to that. I'm sure there's some connection no, between those. I get but... what you're saying. It's different. It, yeah. yeah. Flow state, it just, or even just the description of it feels very clinical in well, some ways. Well, yeah, because it, it, yeah, it seeks to sort of like uh, uh, retrofit this concept for a really, I guess, capitalistic mindset, yeah, you know, yeah, obviously exactly. of just peak sure. performance or whatever, that sort of thing. <laughs> now, all that said, I mean, I do, <laughs> I do think about that stuff, right? And it is important yeah, because course. like, yeah. in order to make something good, you do want to have that energy behind at your back, you know? And so, mm. but yeah, all of those things, sort of a, a connection to the feeling of something beyond me, the feeling of connection to other people, the feeling of being in a room singing songs and playing them, the audience is part of that. It's a it's a feedback loop, and those are those are some of the things I mean. Because for me, I can't uh, separate uh, the concept of religion or faith from the concept of gathering and singing music together. You know, like that was really important to me as a kid in church, and was a, some of my first musical experiences. You know, were like uh, 
church, sitting in the hymn, sitting in the pew, reading uh, from the hymns, singing from the hymns, and then later leading the worship service uh, before I hit puberty and then after as well, which was you awkward. were You were a main service worship leader? Yes. Guitar? No, no, no. Singing the songs? Okay. Just... just uh, me singing, somebody else playing the piano for part of it, and then wow. no pianist for a while. Um, wow. <laughs> which was not, uh, I don't, by the way, want to imply that I was good at any of these things or that I was uh, yeah, even totally. serviceable. <laughs> but they kept you, well, they, but you had to have been serviceable. They kept I don't you know. for more than a week. There's right? a, a lot of family, a lot of family people involved in this church. My, uh, it was, a, okay. there might be, okay. I might've been a, uh, a, a worship leader Nepo baby. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but, d- d- okay. Did you at that time experience, um, nerves around that stuff because i have other similar experiences around church stuff from that age and i don't think i had nerves i think it was just like the sense of purpose and mission made it so you weren't even aware of the fact that you're singing acapella for even a couple dozen people yeah but did you no i didn't have nerves i mean you're really saying it beautifully because What's weird is that I remember when I did start playing in punk bands in high school, uh, there was that sort of feeling of like, who's going to sing? And it was for me just like, I'll, I'll sing. Like, I don't know. I, mm-hmm, I sing all the time mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't, uh, I, I'm sure, I know I had nerves at various points, right? Or if like a certain circumstance had changed or we're, we're doing a song that's kind of hard because I didn't even, right. I would, I think I did eventually get to start kind of picking, selecting the hymn. So I was able to kind of like okay. f- uh, fit it to my taste. But there would be times where it would be like, you got to sight read that shit and it's hard. And like, I yeah. wasn't a good, uh, never was the best sight reader. I've always been a by ear guy, um, even then, you know, so that was all difficult. But so I would occasionally maybe get frustrated with the process, but really the nerves, you're right. Like, I didn't experience them because I also did feel like I was being called to do this right. thing and provide this service for other people. And that is, I mean, I'm sure an analyst could figure out all the ways that that messed me up, you know, this idea of... <laughs> well, I'm also now thinking, I'm like, this is also too, like, cis white guys talking about this. I'm like, there's something happening here, too, where it's like... Why did we feel so emboldened uh, <laughs> to, to to speak in front of people or whatever? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and it's definitely a question worth asking, and it's one that I don't try to flinch uh, away from. But I will say that on the positive side, it it helped to um, it helped to normalize the idea of of singing of, of of making yeah. of making music and when i look back on my life understanding that that connection was made um is it was an important and pivotal and foundational thing and so i'm just i am very thankful for those experiences and i'm very um i'm very glad and i did experience sometimes as a young person flashes of the kind of thing i'm talking about in those moments like i mean i would remember that the sensation of you start singing and then 
the song is done and you're like what happened where did yeah. i sing the song and it's like yeah we all sang the song that was the first time i experienced that i'm sure it was at the pulpit you know which was like a very weird thing and to me now that's like one of the most incredible state states of being you know i mean it's like such a it's mind-blowing Have you thought about funeral planning? Yeah, a little bit. I have. I mean, so I, I want to be cremated for sure. Um, okay. I don't have a strong... I didn't ever used to have a strong sense of that. But following um, the burial, the burials of uh, of my grand, my dad's parents, you know, over uh, both... You know, you know, a decade or so apart, but different times. Uh, following that, I, I, I think that really solidified my my view that I want to be cremated. Uh, because they did get cremated, or did no, they did not. They they were buried, you know, in a, in a plot and stuff. And and I just, to me, um, I don't know. I certainly hold no weird feelings towards anybody who wants to be buried because, as I mentioned earlier, that whole process of breaking down would be cool. I, I do find that beautiful, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also recently had the great fortune of getting to go to Paris, and I went in the catacombs. And I don't know if you know the yeah. So there's something like six million bodies down there, and wow. You're walking through, and obviously you don't see all six million or whatever, but you see you see a lot of them. Um, and you're looking at these skulls, and you're looking at these bones, and it really is kind of a and it's a blessed place. It was consecrated, and it's 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 artful, and I believe that it's like kind of a as a memento mori, kind of this beautiful um, display. But it also just really drove home to me the idea that it's like man, uh, this stuff doesn't really break down. Some of this stuff doesn't break down so much, (laughs) you know, or it takes a really long time for it to happen. And so I think maybe that was uh, furthermore my, you know, kind of like uh, uh, talking about taking up space. Maybe I don't need to take up any space posthumously as well. one last moment of conservation. Yeah, sure, sure. Sure. But I do want everybody to have to get together and listen to music and listen to records and... Any of your music? Oh, gosh, you know, if somebody, I could think of no, like, greater compliment and 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 beautiful thing than for somebody to suggest one of my songs or to, to find some comfort in it, but mm-hmm. I don't think I would leave behind notes to play my records. I don't, I sure. say this right now, but, like, look, I might be couching and i might be trying to shield my ego maybe i would maybe i'd be like and you who gotta knows what records you're gonna put out later dude i mean you might really fucking hit the nail on the head i know? mean i've always thought like i love that caliphone record that song all my friends are funeral singers i don't know if you know that one so i, I, I don't know that one no i just think like the music is is really integral at a funeral and and so i want people to to listen to I think Oh Sweet Nothing by the Velvet Underground is one of my favorite songs of all time. So I think okay. I think that would be a good funeral jam. Um mm-hmm. uh, maybe we could get meta and, and have low that just make it stop. Uh <laughs> that's another okay. that's another that's another one. But yeah, I don't know. So I think I want people to get together and play records and maybe tell stories about uh experiences that we had together. That's what I think w- I would be most honored by. Where do you imagine that happening? Oh, I got yeah, so like a bar or something, or uh, okay, 
Maybe there's a right now. I'm, I'm upset. I, kind of one of my favorite places in Phoenix is this place called the Dirty Drummer, um, okay. and my band will play there pretty often. My friend Dana owns the bar, and it's this bar that her dad owned in the '70s and '80s, and then had sold it. But a few years ago, she bought it back, and she sort of restored it to its '70s glory. And there's you know like you know, a Spud McKenzie dog and all this stuff. And yeah. So I think maybe there, like right now, if I had to pick a place today, I'd say like, do it at the drummer. Just everybody get together and play records and talk and hang out, you know? Cause that's really, I love, that's probably one of my favorite things about playing shows, you know, is just people coming and hanging out. Yeah. Being together. Yeah. The thing I think of is from uh, that, I think it's in the, SNL oral history book. And I think it's Bill Murray talking about the hang after the show yeah, and how they were just buzzing from, pl- from doing the show. So they couldn't even like, they had to stay out until 2 AM just to burn off the nerves and, and high of doing the show. There's this show. Well, so there's, We'll have we have like one of those like digital antennas, and we have like obviously streaming services. My wife Becky and I, but like whenever we, uh, when it, oftentimes we'll play, I'll play a show and we'll go, and then we'll get home at you know midnight or one. And there's always this show called Las Vegas on this channel that we leave because <laughs> we'll leave the TV on for the dogs. Um, okay, yeah, and we'll come home, and there'll always be this show Las Vegas playing. And so I'll end up just sitting there just watching this terrible show because I'm because I'm, I am buzzy post show. You know what I mean? Like you're just like you're still on a little bit of a jolt. So I'm just sitting here watching this terrible show that I don't I don't even know. Las Vegas. It's not. Is it a narrative show? Is it like a soap opera type thing? It's like a yeah, it's like a narrative. It's like a show from like the late 90s or early 2000s or something. You know, it's like okay. a it's in Las Vegas and there's a casino involved. I couldn't tell you of, of, of anything about the show. I'll just sit there and watch it in a state of delirium. Cause thinking about the talking head song mm. and now, and now you've said Las Vegas, I'm going Cocteau twins. It really like adds a new dimension to heaven or Las Vegas. Maybe they were talking about this fucking TV show the whole time. <laughs> I I whatever they were talking about was clearly mystical. That is one of those songs that like right. When I hear that song I feel on a level that's like way deeper than than words. Clearly, that's like that's yeah. one of those perfect examples of <clears throat> what is is the term like glossolalia? Gloss Yeah. Glossolalia where you know you're you're sort of singing in <laughs> singing in tongues or speaking in tongues and to me like <laughs> what Liz Fraser does is is akin to that because it's uh I don't know what she's saying uh you can hear when yeah. she say she says Las Vegas in it though and you could <laughs> yeah, yeah. so like that part so you know that that you know show Las Vegas portal whatever it is I love that and and Las Vegas is a weird I've I've spent a fair amount of time in Las Vegas and it's a weird place so yeah it's it's America's it's America's dream dreamland. In so many ways Las Vegas is like what America wants to be and what America really is and it's like all right there on yeah. display and the two things right. are you see it's like you see these like 
really pristine looking buildings and then as you get closer you're like this paint looks like shit like this place is a uh, is tore up you know sure. what i mean like that's well it's also the heaven <laughs> is a place where nothing ever really happens it's both heavenly and <laughs> totally static i mean yeah. it reminds me of like i'm a sober guy and my my thing when i wasn't was like every fucking time going out or even just getting high after or during work was like what was like some unknown thing is going to happen. Yeah. And it turns out it was usually just the same, like three things. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's Vegas is it's like, no, you're going to go to the slots or you're going to like hire someone from the postcards or you're going to get a three yard long slushy drink. Or yeah. There's only so, there's only so many activities, right? No, yeah, for, yeah. for sure. But I also think about twin peaks season three, one of my favorite shows of all times. Mm. But so much of it takes place in these housing divisions outside of Vegas proper. Okay. You know, just sprawl, sprawling, uh, you know, and I live in Arizona, so I, I'm not in any way trying to sprawl shame. Unfortunately, we're <laughs> very guilty of it here, you know, sure. and it's and it's the way of the Southwest, the way these cities have all been built is unsustainable and nightmarish and so many ways to think about. But Las Vegas, like, just these rows and rows and rows and rows of these same houses, you know? And it's like, that's what exists just outside of the artificial Taj Mahals and pyramids. And, you know, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a place of contrasts and, uh, and of bleak contrasts, a land of bleak <laughs> contrasts, Las Vegas. So maybe heaven yeah. is like that. I don't know. That Cocteau Twin song makes Vegas sound great. And I've also had great times in Vegas. So I, I don't know. I want to ask you to relive one memory. And having heard the show, you may know that it grew out of my second one-man show, Set in the Afterlife. The prompt is, you get to choose exactly one memory to fully drop down into and relive on demand whenever you want. Which memory do you choose? I've been thinking about this one. It's a tough, this is a tough one. This is maybe. I'm always worried when people, I'm actually like worried when people have heard the show and have had time to think through. Because I, I can always edit out the silence while they're thinking. I I have tried very hard not to come up with like pat answers. Yeah, um, yeah. But there, there are like five or six things swirling around in my head. And I'm going to oh go. Oh my God, sure. I'm going to go with the one that is the most resonant, which is that. Uh, in like 2009, my now wife, Becky and I, we hadn't been dating that long, but we'd been dating for a while. And, um, we decided to take, maybe it was 2010 even, but we decided to take a trip to, um, to visit a friend in Portland from Phoenix. And we flew into bend oregon because we could fly this cheap flight out of this Mm. small airport not sky harbor which you alluded to earlier about jimmy world sky harbor i will unreservedly say the best airport in america um really yes and see joe Perez's incredible podcast on the subject for uh for for further uh confirmation but sky harbor arizona has a lot to be proud of we've got 
some beautiful places, but Sky Harbor is one of them. It's the best airport. Um, but we did not fly out of Sky Harbor. We flew out of this small rural airport uh, out on the east side of the Phoenix metro area into Bend, Oregon. He lived in Eugene, so we had to rent a car and drive this pass through the sort of winding mountains down into Eugene. And we rented the car and I was driving and we were going and all of a sudden it starts snowing. I'm like an Arizona kid. I have Mm -hmm. never driven in snow. Uh, I'm nervous. We're on- You're how old at this point? I, I think 23, 23 maybe okay. 24 um not super super young you know but yeah but not super established and we're driving and <laughs> it's so weird but that's the memory that keeps coming back to me because in that weird moment like it was scary but it was also just this feeling of like we talked a little bit about flow state but it was just like I remember feeling so connected to her with me. We were both nervous, but also we were both being courageous. You know what I mean? Like in our own mm. weird way, because I'm doing this thing and we're going a place and we're trying, you know, it's like I hadn't done a lot of that in my life. And I remember feeling like kind of a feeling of of purpose, similar to what we talked about earlier, that was really cool. And like very, um, it was just this idea that like, if I could go, I, I if I was going to do something unknown, I wanted to do it with her, and that that was such a cool moment for me. And um, I couldn't. How long had you been dating? I don't know. Maybe I think maybe I want to say like it was maybe like six or seven months. Maybe maybe it okay. was a, maybe it was a year. So it had been a little bit, you know. But it was probably like I think it was one of those inklings of like this is a person I would want to build my whole life with, and have having subsequently done that, that early moment feels like such a cool one to be able to drop into that like young feeling of like infinite possibility, you know, in this strange place, in these weird conditions, just a real mix of everything. And then I remember we got to my buddy's apartment. He was still at work, and I ate like three bowls of cereal and smoked four cigarettes or something. Like, right? I was just like, "Oh my god, what just happened?" <laughs> like, I was really the snowy drive was that intense and crazy to me in my weird yeah. head. It wasn't even yeah. that much. I'm sure. Like, ultimately, it wasn't that intense. But uh, now, you know, um, looking well, back, does that on have it. to do with the sense of possibility? Is the idea that I mean, the way you're describing it, it sounds like. Um, actually, have you seen the movie, the Hirokazu Kurita movie, Afterlife? No, that sounds, tell me about it. It's great. I think it's becoming one of my favorites. And it's, um, do you know him at all? No. He did that movie Shoplifters a few years ago that people really liked. I haven't Um, seen it. I haven't seen it. No. So he does, weirdly, he does a lot of, like, very kind of grounded, but but there's always, like, a shocking turn uh, family dramas now. But Afterlife is a bureaucratic afterlife where 
the first part of everyone gets a week there and the staff spends the first part of the week interviewing people. I mean, it's just this prompt. Yeah. I like essentially lifted it. I love kind it. Of without realizing it actually. Um, but it, but it, and then at the back half, they create little short films for the people of their memories. And then everyone watches the short films all put together. And then at the end of that screening, everyone's disappeared from the theater onto the next part of whatever their life is. And I'm imagining a short film of this moment for you that is very like DIY snowfall of you just like driving and then immediately from the rafters, someone like dumps a bunch <laughs> of snow. Like, did it feel that? And I'm, and you mentioned the sense of possibility and that anything can happen. Is that part of it where it just was like, Oh, this can happen. Uh, who yeah. knows where life could take us? Or am I being too precious or metaphorical? No, you're not. That's what. That's the key. That's the. That's the element of it that it does feel. So, I mean, it's like because there's a obviously it's dangerous, right? You're in this a, a sense. The sense of danger is part of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the sense of danger is always there when something is truly. Uh, meaningful or or truly portentous you know and 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 part of the thing is <laughs> i mean i once had like a kind of <laughs> i was really tempted to I, i'm only bringing i'm well i have got an ulterior motive i can sneak in the other story i was gonna tell yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. that's my main thing i'm hoping to accomplish here but it also does illustrate it in but it does also it does also illustrate your point which is that i had a, like a really uh profound ufo uh sighting with a number of people when i was even younger i was i think wow. I, was, I was 20 then and there were um there were four of us and we all we all saw a series of lights in the sky during the day and watched them for about an hour before they dramatically shot off in varying directions. And it was very, I don't know what they were and I don't have any real answer, of course, but it was a definitely, it's a weird thing we all saw and we all felt weird about it. And we all (laughs) were like, okay, whatever we are saying is strange. And they did not behave in the way that we'd ever seen airplanes behave, all that stuff. The reason I bring that up is because that experience was tinged with the same kinds of feelings that I'm talking about in this other moment, which is essentially what's happening? Like what am I seeing? Like what I this is a this is me in a zone that I have not been in before. You know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. and for me that feeling of seeing those weird lights and just not having any concept of what they are and still not having any concept fills me with a lot of joy and optimism and exuberance because it's like that was a moment where I thought, whoa, I guess even something like this could happen. You know, like I don't know what this is, but it's weird and it can happen. And in that feeling of driving with Becky and being on the path somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, it's just that feeling of like, I didn't picture that I would be doing this like this you know and and i mean that in the 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 moment of course but i also mean it in a broader sense of like just embarking on a journey with somebody and not being sure where it's going to take you and also that i always just like everybody else i think 
it's going to a place is often so much more fun mm-hmm. than than being in a place except for flying flying is it's way more fun to be in the place than it is to be on an airplane but sure sure but driving it feels different to me so <laughs> right and waiting for the flight is great if it's at sky harbor exactly and a yeah. few other airports but mostly okay. just sky harbor that's the only one i yeah. care to to shout out and laud with yeah. praise and okay. civic pride they really need it i'm sure that you like up their business i'm sure <laughs> that would be honestly i've said i've said in intros that i would not that i won't take do ads on this show but i'm gonna say right now if an air if the right airport asks i would 100 percent do ads for mid chicago midway airport i'll do ads for sky harbor i've never even seen this shit i'll, I'll do sky harbor ads dude yeah you wouldn't be you'd be within your rights and it would be a, a good move um and and furthermore if any if any airports need, you know, somebody to create a Brian Eno esque music for your airport yes, soundtrack, yes. I, we could team up on that. You and I could God. I mean, I would be honored that you would allow me to do the speaking part given that you could easily hog both of those roles. No, it's it's gonna be a fifty fifty collab for sure. But what I like about this moment is that I have so many thoughts. One this must be what it's like to be a baby all the time. Um, just to have your world constantly expanded and to be going, because that's when you start uh, not having kids myself, but being an uncle and, and knowing more people with kids, the really cool shit about kids beyond like, I, the binary of, I like kids. I don't like kids Mm -hmm. is like every time you see them, they are different and they're like they're literally just collecting these moments like probably multiple times a day and that as adults you know people talk about their life your life being big your life being small but we don't often like feel those changes you know and it feels like you got to um and 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 this actually fit i've noticed Uh, A mild obsession of yours on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast is, uh, I'll say, moments of rupture. Mm -hmm. I feel like you like like asking people about moments of possibility and moments of rupture and when things felt like, you know, you're talking to Mitch Horowitz about like, are we in a new epoch? Or you're talking to Vashti Bunyan about like, um, it, you know, her th- these particularly like pregnant moments. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that has to do with your uh, witness that the fact that you got to bear witness to these moments in your life where you're like, holy shit, I can almost see space bend. <laughs> in the way that my like world is getting bigger. Yeah, I mean, I do, I don't I don't even 100% know how to wrap my head around that, but I definitely think so, right? Because I just <laughs> I I uh I feel like you when you really look at things or when you give yourself the uh, freedom to really behold a thing, I think you find that the possibility of meaning is there in almost anything if you choose to to bring 
some meaning to that interaction, or if you choose to find meaning in it, you know? And for better or worse, I have always, you know, looked for, for meaning in, in the, the stories of my life. I mean, I think we all do, right? And I definitely am interested in moments of rupture or moments of, did it feel different after this thing happened? I mean, that's obviously a shared obsession of yours you know right this like moment of like there's a there's a thing and there's a there's a before that thing and there's an after that thing um i have been relatively uh, attracted to the idea that we're living in the new thing and there was a break at -hmm. some point maybe not 20 years ago probably just a few years ago obviously you know in in the way that like it, stuff just shifted right and so i have been for me that marked that shift marked obviously global changes and so much upheaval in terms of political landscapes and all that other stuff and but i think it goes even beyond that i think we're all we're all struggling to behold reality the same way right and so um I think that that being the case, there's uh, maybe some good to be gleaned from choosing to look at moments of our life as um, having meaning and having great seeds of potential and, and possibility. You know, to me, it's just that's yeah. like you you brought up being around kids and, and, and the way the world is new to them. I mean, I really do think that that's what christ was talking about when he said you know you got to be like a child you know you have to be Mm. to me that's like a child doesn't know how the story is going to end usually they're interested to see what happens and they're not laden down with the decision of what's happened or the knowledge this is how it's going to turn out you know and we get like that like i know ramdas will talk about that right like you'll get stuck in those patterns where like when you feel bad it reminds you of all those other times you Mm -hmm. felt bad Mm -hmm. and so that becomes this monumental thing of like oh no it's this again the great sadness that i've experienced before and then him being like but then you can also just step back and go no, it's not the great sadness. You just feel sad right now. It give yourself some time. It'll pass, you know. But that's the thing about kids. There's less of that because they are open. And I think like um I don't think that we live in a system that makes it particularly easy to be open because you get oh, no, shat on. You get shat on for you get yeah. shat on for saying things, but yeah. um and and sometimes by good people even, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. correctly even. But but also sometimes just for arbitrary weird reasons and because somebody was bored or needed a dopamine fix themselves, you know? So anyway, I don't think we live in a, in a system that rewards openness and wonder like that. But I do think that one of the reasons why I like listening to your show and why I like doing transmissions is because there are metrics other than how many people are listening to the show. And there are metrics on a spiritual level or a, or just a creative level or even just a human to human level where it's like we can create stuff that accentuates that and that to me is contributing to that idea of like wonder like i try to be pretty uh i try to be pretty present in the idea that like 
you created something when I'm talking to somebody, you know, that's amazing because it is amazing to create things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that more people than ever can create stuff means that maybe it's a lot harder in some ways to, to gain an audience or to anything else. But sure. But there are things that run much deeper than that involved in the process and that it gives you access to that. So to me, that's my, that's been my kind of my pet thing. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just so honored that you, have listened and could even notice my pet obsessions. The other one I have is whether or not people can read each other's minds when they're playing music. Cause I think that I've heard, a, I, I haven't, I haven't had as much of those yet, but I, I have heard the, the, the edges of those. Um, I ask about, I ask about, I ask about that one. That's why I like, I like having somebody like Mitch Horowitz or, you know, uh, on, um, or Meredith Graves, like somebody who can like, you want to talk some like weird occult stuff? Let's do it. Right. Like I love, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. It's it's the it's the most fun. It's I love that language. In, yeah, it's so interesting because I've been the language I've been immersed in recently is like uh, radical political language, and I think there's and it's so funny. You say wonder, and I'm like, oh right, like that's what it is. But the way I've been thinking about it is just as this and it's less of a fun way but but I find it inspiring in other ways the duty to hope where it's like what kind of brought me back to punk rock first principles in June of 2020 was realizing that like the sort of apathy I developed and the narrow individualism I developed was like there were people with much more to lose or, or, or much less to lose. I, I don't know even what the way to say it is, but like people who had much greater reason not to hope who were out hoping and being active. And like, it's like something just some switch just flipped where it's like, okay, fuck it. Like the great sadness it, as hard as it is, it's my responsibility to, unbreak each moment of sadness from that great sadness story so that the idea that maybe this time i mean i I had a sponsor who said that grace the definition of grace is the ability for um to for to 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 start again and for things to turn out differently yeah. Which when you're like relapsing a lot at the beginning of a program, you're like, fuck, I'm never going to get this, right? And you hear that and it's like, oh, you know, eventually, and it doesn't even, it, the, the, it's like, oh, January 1st, the day I'm going to get sober. It's like, right. no, it turns out it's March 29th or so, you know what I mean? And it just doesn't matter. It's just, can you tap into that grace uh, of 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 continuing to hope that each time can be different. And it's not, it's not airy fairy. It's like very much like a Miriam Kaba says, uh, hope is a discipline. And it's yeah. like very much that. Yeah. I was just listening to an episode of Duncan Trussell's podcast and he, he cited Thomas Merton who said that like, mm. he said something like despair is laziness. And, and, and I was very implicated by that, of course, because, right. I mean, it hurts to hear somebody say that or it hurts to think that because I'm 
relatively convinced that all of my despair is very valid and earned because yeah, yeah, I felt totally. sad, you know? Um, that I'm only half joking. Of course we all feel that way, but I do think that there's some truth to the idea that it's like, there is such a thing as like meaningless despair. I mean, I think despair is part of the language that you have to know. You have to know how to, you have to know what despair means or what it means in you, in you, you know, and, 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 and it has something to teach you the same as any other feeling, you know, but to luxuriate in it too much. I mean, we really are all, not all of us, many people in this country are, you know, more comfortable glo- than the global, than globally, mm-hmm. you know, people who are relatively low income here still have a quality of life that in certain parts of the world would be very attractive. I think that what you realize, though, is that the human condition is just really the human condition is is tough right and and you and you feel sad and you and everybody feels those that way oftentimes you know or like more often than we think and it gets very easy to imagine that you're the only person who feels that and that's when that or like well they're not feeling this i'm feeling this that's when it starts to turn on you right and it's like yes then the despair sort of it's not helping you get anywhere it's not it doesn't have anything to teach you it's just you circling back on your on your your pain or or whatever and i i and i and again no judgment because we all do it and we all um we all struggle with it but i do think that like that that hope i mean and i have like friends who ascribe to like really beautiful and articulated forms of nihilism and stuff you know Uh, and they have like a very like a thoughtful and rational and 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 heartfelt understanding of that but but i have to hope i have i'm all of i i have to i have to um for better or worse i really am drawn into this idea that this all means something and that like your interactions with others can mean something and when you talk about finding that in like the language of radical leftism i mean that's 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 beautiful and and we're all trying to navigate this these concepts of like individuality and the network and we're all mediating that stuff and we're all trying to navigate this like where do i end and the and the consciousness that is beyond me begins i don't i don't know you know but it is beautiful to think about being galvanized towards action because that's a more that's just a more that's a more livable state if nothing else What's your coma? A moment of transformation where before you felt like one version of yourself and after you became another. You you referenced it before, uh, but yeah, I'm curious what it is. I think it was writing the song Something Happening, Always Happening that's on, or the song Something Happening from my album, Something Happening, Always Happening. Um, the opening The opening track. track, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's a track where the the record is, it's got some up moments, but a lot of it is more sparse and a little more deserty and a little, little spookier. That song kind of an outlier in its tone and its its character but i wrote it um 
over I had a, a sample drum beat that we later replaced with my friend Zach Toporek playing real drums, but I wrote it it was sometime in twenty maybe late twenty twenty. I wrote that song in what felt like no time. Like I just I had that beat and I just started playing and I laid down one part, I laid down another part, I laid down another part, and I laid down another wow. part. And it had been twenty minutes. Um and like I said earlier, I mentioned that I play in a band called Kitimoto and we had just been recording and so I was really amped up and psyched from working with those dudes and having such a good time. But I just started I just made that song and then I finished laying down those different parts and I pressed play on it and I listened to it and I felt for the first time uh, in my own music, I felt something like what I had felt when I've listened to other people's music of just like, well, hey, that's I get that. That's cool. I like what that I like. I like that, you know. Um, And to me, that marked a big shift in um, how uh, willing I was to indulge the thought of being a creative person myself. You know what I mean? Cause I had spent so much time um, writing about music or, or coming at it from a more analytical angle or writing liner notes or whatever, writing about other people's music, you know, yeah. which, and that's a beautiful and powerful and an important part of my life, that sort of engagement with musical text. But to have something that I like just kind of tumble out of me, that to me felt like a shift. It felt like a, a a shift into a thing of like similar to what I'd mentioned earlier. It's like, Hey, that can happen. And then it happened a bunch more, you know, uh, after that. Is that that, the first song you wrote for the record? Um, yeah. Or are there some previous ones that you don't like as much that you're not going to tell us? No, there's nothing. There's, there's none of that. There was just like, seven or eight years of me just kicking around, not finishing songs, just like playing a riff here and there, uh, mm-hmm. writing down a, a scratch of a lyric. And then yeah. some stuff from that, um, from that era made its way into songs on the record. So I hesitate to say that like, but something happening was kind of, the, it was kind of the first song. It was, it was kind of the first song. Did it, and I, I knew oh, happening. Like, yeah. were you able to listen to other songs and be like, "Hey, that is, like, it, did it feel like the switch head?" I'm wary of permanently flipped, but I'll say, did did the switch feel like it consistently flipped, where all of a sudden you're liking a lot of the shit that you're writing? Yes, it did. It was like that for like a, a year after, you know, a year, a <laughs> year, was... a year and a half almost. But, but then I hit skids and then i just all of a sudden i started hating what i was making and or Mm -hmm. struggling with it or doing the hilarious and always um humbling thing of like hating something you make leaving it alone for six months and coming back and going oh that doesn't that doesn't actually suck or whatever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but just like getting in that zone so but no it did that it happened and and i knew that that song needed to be i was like this is going to be the first song on the record that's what i knew i might have written one or two songs before that one um but i was like this is the first song on the record i'm making and i think that's when i realized oh i'm making a record and and i and even as the other songs came and they didn't fit stylistically perfectly with that one i was like i'm just gonna keep it 
on yeah on the record and and i'm just i'm just for whatever reason i'm going to honor that this is the one for me that i want to put here and it's my record so i'll put it there if i want what are we and... doing what are we living our lives for <laughs> if not to put the one song that's not stylistically perfect also on the fucking record i love it and to me it's like a thing of like you know you th- this this is here because I want it to be here, and so many of my favorite records are like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where like the artist is just clearly not. This is one for me, you know. And yeah, it's gonna be track one. But I also Dude, like that. I, I also really like that. that so. Those lyrics from the landlady. Can't please do oh, not yeah. use shower. It's like what are we can do anything? Yeah, you know. Exactly. Exactly. That's 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 what's so great about it. So, what did you think you were? making before or were you just in a sort of consistent um songwriting process were you basically doing the the musical equivalent of morning pages every day or or whenever you would play before it before that before you realized before you realized oh i'm making an album because i'll Um, sometimes be like oh i've got a date for the show I yeah. the the new show comes out this date. So I'm like, okay, that's that's why I've got a new show. I'm not just like always writing and then it turns into a new thing. Um yeah. so that's what I'm curious about. I wasn't doing anything um I wasn't doing anything diligently prior to mm. that song in terms of my own project. I did like I mentioned, I was playing I play guitar in this band called Kitimoto and we had recorded we had been so my my work had primarily for most of that year and the few years prior to that had been on being in somebody else's band and playing guitar parts some that they had written some that i wrote for you know it's like a mix of stuff um and my my musical focus was definitely on being a a side a contributing player which mm-hmm. was uh deeply helpful and uh, i highly recommend playing rhythm slash occasional lead parts in a in a four-piece indie rock band because it's uh life-giving you know so that was really my it was just writing working on 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 that project um and i have always kicked around like songs of my own but it had that process had devolved into nothing to speak of in terms of like i'm working on these songs but then but then i wrote that thing and felt something and then that really kicked off a flurry i had written many songs prior to this period of course i'm talking when i was younger i was in bands and stuff so it wasn't that i had never but yeah i wasn't really i didn't really have anything i didn't really have a practice but since then i'm pretty consistently always writing and it is kind of a morning it's like an afternoon thing for me i'll yeah i'll just work on chords and lyrics and shape stuff slowly yeah. So has this been like a touchstone for you where even in those those moments of hating it, you're like, but we had that, like we had something happening. Uh only only when I'm kind enough to myself to uh yeah. to right. to have that part of the conversation, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I like the part of me that's kind enough to do that and kind enough to remind myself that I've had some wins, but you would be surprised how silent that guy can be at times. You I know what I mean? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised I know, I know you all. wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
well, paint your hell. Yeah. Let's 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 go back. Let's let's do it. I want to hear now. Paint your fucking hell, Jason Woodbury. <laughs> 